on Saturday, June 2nd, around 8 in the morning, two world-class elite rock climbers attempting to climb a route on El Capitan fell over a thousand feet to their deaths. One of those climbers was my friend Tim. Tim is on my right, your left. He's in the, the helmet and the blue jacket. And as the details kind of unfold as to what happened and how come they fell, because again, they were elite, uh, it's still kind of a mystery. And that's, that's pretty, pretty bothersome um, to, to many of us who knew Tim and, and his climbing partner, Jason. And uh, as the news of, of Tim's death kind of made its way around our circle of friends, uh, many of us had climbed a lot with, with Tim um, back in the day. Uh, it, it obviously saddened us, but there was something that, that as we shared, uh, we realized and we began to realize more and more, and, and that was that, that Tim had, had affected us, had deeply like, touched our lives in, in, in many similar ways. See, Tim was an incredibly humble guy. Actually, um, like the resounding like, consistency from those stories that my friends and I were sharing with each other was, was that Tim's life exemplified what godly character looked like in human form. Again, incredibly humble, selfless, sacrificing, especially when it came to the needs of others. Actually, Tim, he lived his life by, by one simple phrase. It's a phrase that's actually incredibly difficult to play out and to, to live by. But Tim did that on, on a daily basis, and it was this. Make others better. Make others better. See, Tim, he understood that building godly character require, requires developing your core strength. Core is, is all the rage right now, right? When we think about like even athletics, uh, core strength is, is very, very uh, important, right? Uh, athletes develop their core, basically the midsection of our bodies, right? From about our chest down to our thighs. They develop that and they strengthen that because it helps strengthen all the other parts of, of your body, your arms, your legs, your fingers, your toes, even your neck and your head. Uh, if, we, if we think about, you know, you think about football players that do that. I actually saw this crazy video this week of this guy doing a reverse sit-up. He, he was on his knees, and he had his coach behind him um, holding his feet, and he did a sit-up forward without, like, touching the ground with anything, and then back up. If I tried to do that right now, my back would explode, right? Like, every, you would have a mess on this stage, you know, if I tried to do that. I don't know if, I mean, there's a couple people I think maybe could do that in this room, maybe. I don't know, we'll see. But it's, I mean, it, that's all about your core strength, right? Um, sticking kind of with the, the rock climbing theme, uh, when I was personally climbing at the hardest that I ever climbed and at the, at the highest level that I ever climbed, um, it was because I worked on my core. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You're all, Tony, obviously your core has gone a little bit <laughs> to the wayside. And yes, that's true. Life happens. It's okay. It's all right. I'm actually currently working on my core. Um, I'm working on, you know, just losing a few pounds because it's, it's good and it's healthy for me. And part of that, though, is, again, just working on my core. But, but I, I, I mentioned that because, believe it or not, like in, in rock climbing, when you're, when you're climbing, you know, you think, okay, I'm going to rely on my arm strength. Or maybe even my leg strength to, to get me up. But actually, when you learn to rely on your core strength, 
it will save the energy in your arms and your fingers. It'll save the energy in your legs, and you'll actually be able to climb harder, farther, uh, with more endurance if you have a good, strong core. I can remember, I was thinking about this, I I used to have a a pull-up bar at my parents' house, and this was when I was in like high school and in college. And uh, I had this pull-up bar, and I put these, these pieces of rope on it. And I would do these pull-ups on this thing where I would just hang there, and I would stick my legs out like this, and I would just do pull-ups on that, right, just to develop my core. And I could do around 50 to 60 of those pull-ups in a row just working on, just working on my core. Again, my core has gone quite a bit to the wayside, and it's okay. But, um, but uh, that's, the, that's the type of strength that... Um, that you need when you're going to be climbing at that level. I, I also, I, I have a, a niece, Lucy, who's up here, um, who leads worship sometimes. She's a ballerina, right? She does dance. She'll tell you that the, some of the most important muscles in her body are her core because it takes her core to keep her balanced. It keeps, takes her core to keep her cent- centered. Um, and if we think about like our spirituality, and our, and our relationship with God, that's the same thing. Our spiritual core needs to be centered. And what our spiritual core is centered on is so important because much like our physical core, our spiritual core can break down. It can break down and, and it can wither a bit if we're not constantly working on it and strengthening it. And we strengthen it by allowing God to do His work in our lives. See, our culture looks, on, or looks at the outside, right? Right? Our culture focuses a lot on the outside, but, but God cares about what's going on on the inside. Obviously, God cares about our health and our physical health as well. You know, the Bible describes our bodies as, as His temple, so we need to take care of His temple. But ultimately, God's most concerned about what is going on inside of our spiritual core, inside of our, our, our lives. And so we have this awesome example of, of, from the Old Testament, and it's, it's actually in the book of, of Samuel. And I know we're, we're in, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to get there eventually this morning. But uh, I wanted to share this story just out of the book of Samuel because uh, it, it just talks about um, character. It talks about our, our, our spiritual core, uh, and it gives some great examples from the life of, of King Saul, kind of what not to do, and then eventually King David, what to do. So Samuel was a prophet of God. I just want to give you a little context. He was, he was a prophet of God, and he was given the task of finding a successor for King Saul. See, the Israelites, they had many leaders. If you think about Old Testament history, many leaders. He had you know, guys like Abraham, uh, Moses, Joshua, uh, but, but the Israelites kept saying, hey, listen, everybody else around us, all these other nations, they have kings. We want a king. We want a king. Give us a king, God. Give us a king. And God was like, I am your king. And they're like, no, we want a physical. We want to be able to see a king, somebody who's like a human. And, uh, and so then God kind of met him in the middle at one point, and he, he gave them judges. And the judges were the ones that, there's actually a book in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, judges. And the judges were the ones that were sent to rule over, um, over the Israelite people. Some of the, the more famous ones, or maybe the ones you've heard of, Deborah, uh, Gideon, Samson, you know, Samson, strong Samson, Samson and Delilah, that whole deal. Uh, Samuel, the guy who uh, wrote this book of Samuel. Um, also, okay, just a side note, if you go, at some point, go into Judges and just look up Ehud, right? Ehud was a judge, and his story is gnarly. I'm not going to get into it today, but it's like gnarly. You're just like, I, it's one of those stories where you're like, oh, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Right? It's one of those ones. It's a good one. It's a doozy. So go check out Ehud. Um, but all that to say, uh, again, the Israelites, they're, they're, they're still complaining and they're going, God, we want a king. 
And so finally God goes, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And they, God gave him or gave them the, this, this man named Saul. And Saul ruled for 40 years. But when it came time for Saul's rule to end, um, again, here's Samuel, and he's been given the task of finding a successor. So Samuel found David, but it wasn't that, it wasn't just like, oh, hey, David just popped on up. No, no, it, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of a task. Uh, and, and Saul and David are, are compared this way. I'm going to read, um, when, when, and this is 1 Samuel 9, talking about Saul. Saul was a man of good standing, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere, and he was a head taller than anyone else, right? So here's this very attractive, tall, buff guy who is a head taller than everybody else. The Israelites are thinking, perfect. This is the perfect king. And then we look at David, who, according to 1 Samuel 16, was the youngest of eight brothers from the line of Jesse. And, and actually, it's, it's kind of funny. God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to, and said, hey, there, the king is here. The king is in this house. And so, so Samuel went into Jesse's house, and as he arrived, he looked at, at Jesse's sons, and, and, and his thoughts betrayed him. It says in, in 1 Samuel 16.6, uh, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the, Lord, the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. And then in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at, People look at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we know later in Scripture that God himself describes David as being a man after his own heart. Even in his failures, even in his shortcomings, he was still a man after God's own heart. And that had everything to do with his character. So as we continue <clears throat> to look and study this, the book of Ephesians, and, and we've been in Ephesians for quite a while, and we're going to be here for a little bit longer. Um, if you have your, your Bibles, you can open them to you know, Ephesians 3.14. If you have your phones, you can flip there now and, and get there on, on version app or whatever app that you use uh, to, to follow along with. This passage summed up really in, in two ways, and I'll, I'll give you the first one now. It's this, that character starts with the heart. We look at Ephesians 3.16, uh, may he strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Have you ever seen or met somebody who seems like they have it all? Like on the outside, they seem like they've got it all together. But you can tell that on the inside, there's maybe something missing. Have you ever met anybody like that? Maybe that's you. I know I, I've been in that, that season of life before a couple times. Or on the outside, it looks like I've got everything going on. Yay, good things. Yeah, happy times. But on the inside, I'm really, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm hurting. I feel distant from, from God. It's, it's like when you, you know, when you get good at something, you get good at a job, you get good at, your, at sports or at ministry or management or leadership or school or whatever it is, we forget 
Who gave us the ability to get good at those things? We forget that God gave us those blessings, and actually we take over for God. Have you ever done that before? I know I've done that before. I take over for God. God got me here, and then I go, okay, thanks, God. I got it now. And I leave God kind of in in the dust. Or worse, we start taking credit for the things that God is doing in our lives. God is doing some amazing things in our lives, and we start taking the credit again, putting God behind us. I know when I served at a, at a former church, uh, I, I was called there to, to be a youth pastor and a worship pastor. And, and um, part of my calling there was that I was being called with a, a team of people, and we were, supposed to, we were supposed to basically bring this kind of older, dying church to life again. And so they brought in a children's director and, a, you know, me doing the worship and the, and the kids, or uh, sorry, the youth area and, and a couple other pieces, a college minister and that sort of thing. Again, just to kind of revitalize this, this church and this, this campus. And, and so as I, as I got into that role, I, I honestly, I felt so much pressure to be successful. Uh, I felt like at times the success of the church was on my shoulders completely. Tony, you have to get the youth group up and running because if you don't get the youth group up and running, then families are going to leave. And if families leave, then we're not going to have anybody in the pews and all this, that sort of stuff. And, oh, Tony, you have to redo the worship service and you have to make it vibrant and you have to make it exciting for people. And you have, All of that pressure was on my shoulders. And, and honestly, at times, part of me really liked that. Part of me liked that, that pressure, the drive, and, and definitely the accolades that it was getting me because every success I had, people were saying, Tony, good job, Tony, good job, and it stoked my pride for sure. But it was that part of me that honestly got so used to receiving those, those accolades, those praises, that then began to just forget that it was God who actually had gotten me there. You see... Um, I thought that all of the things that I had accomplished to that point, I could rely on those things, and I didn't need to rely on God anymore. So I started relying on my own strength. And, and uh, see, I was taking credit for the stuff that God was doing in my life and not giving Him the credit, not giving Him the glory. And, and that's actually a very dangerous place to be because when it came to decisions like decision-making regarding the church, regarding what was going on in, in the youth group or the worship services and whatnot, I, I started relying on my own experiences rather than God's wisdom and insight for where he wanted to take that church. I relied on my own wisdom. So ultimately, I was, I was limiting what God could be doing at that church because it was, I was just giving me. I was just giving me and not giving any of God. Our, our pastor, our lead pastor, Mike Quinn, he says this all the time. I'm surprised he doesn't have it tattooed somewhere on his body. Um, he says, I can't give away what I don't have. See, what I was doing in that situation was I was giving away me. I wasn't giving away God. I was giving away the gospel according to Tony and not the actual good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I wasn't being heretical or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I, I just was sharing more of me and less of Jesus. And it should be the opposite always, right? We should be sharing more of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our lives versus the other way around. And our passage, our passage very clearly says it. Strengthen you with power. Where does that strength come from? He will strengthen you with power. Not a power that comes from ourselves because our power... Our core, if it's not fed, if we're not taking care of it, our spiritual core will only take us so far. 
when we trust on God's supernatural strength to give us the power, the energy that we need to do his work, that only comes from Christ's restorative work in our life. Uh, I found an essay that I want to read um, to you. Not the whole thing, just a section of it. It's by a guy named David Brooks, and it's called The Road to Character. And I feel like he sums up this point pretty well, so uh, I'll read that here now. He says that we live in a society that encourages us to think about, what we, about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life. The competition to succeed and win admiration is so fierce that oftentimes it becomes all-consuming. The consumer marketplace encourages us to live by utilitarian calculus, to satisfy our desires and to lose sight of the moral stakes involved in everyday decisions. The noise of fast and shallow communications makes it harder to hear the quieter sounds that emanate from the depths. We live in a culture that teaches us to promote and advertise ourselves and to master the skills required for success, but that gives little encouragement to humility, sympathy, and, self, and honest self-confrontation, which are all necessary for building character. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, put it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the renewing of, of, of your mind, you can't do that on your own. You can't renew your mind on your own. You need God to, to step in. You need Jesus and his transformational, um, his transformation that only he can bring through his salvation to step in and transform and renew our mind. Because again, God cares about what's going on on the inside way more than he cares about what's going on on the outside. And a lot of us a lot of us will white-knuckle it, right? We'll white-knuckle it. We'll willpower through it. And sometimes that will work. But the emphasis on the word sometimes because it won't always work, right? White-knuckling it and willpower won't always get it done. And so I know for me in that story that I was sharing with you before, that's exactly what I was doing. I was just trying to white-knuckle this and, and get it done. I'm going to get it done on my own strength. I'm going I'm to achieve all these things and, and honestly, I was missing a lot of what God could have achieved in me in that time and was, and was trying to achieve in that time because I wasn't listening to him. I was relying on my own strength and not his strength for guidance. And I had to put my pride to the side eventually and understand that I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. For me, I needed to fail. I needed to hit rock bottom. And it came to this point where I, I, for me, what happened was I just got physically tired and, and sick. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I just thought I had a bad cold, but it was just something that, that continued. I just couldn't get rid of it. And I ended up having this meeting with a couple of the church elders and because and they, they, they were concerned about what was going on. Tony, you're sick. What's, what's happening? You're missing a lot of work. You're not able to be here. And, and, and as we kind of rooted it out and prayed through it, it became pretty evident that I was just relying on my own strength so much that I was, I was drained. I was depleted. I had nothing left to give. And one of the elders looked at me and said, Tony, you can't do this on your own. 
He encouraged me so much that day, but he said, Tony, you can't do that or can't do this on your own. You need to work with your team. And most importantly, you need to rely on God for his strength, for his power to help you lead this church. And unfortunately, that's the story for many of us, right? We rely on on our own strength. We rely on our own power. We forget that God is doing stuff in our lives. We forget that, that he's the one that's blessing us. And so, unfortunately, when it comes to pride, our pride gets in the way, and we can't see God through our pride sometimes. I know, for me, in that period of my life, my character was being defined by by what I could accomplish, not what God could accomplish through me. Not what God could accomplish through the gifts that he had given me. Right? I was taking the credit for it. I had completely forgotten that, that everything I was, should be doing was, should have been through his spirit. And I was only being partially transformed and not necessarily in a good way because I wasn't relying on his spirit. And so I learned, again, the hard way through my physical health that humility is, is foundational. Humility is absolutely foundational in our walks. Like our, not even just with our walks with Christ, like in our, in our lives. Anywhere we go, anything we do, humility is absolutely foundational. Three weeks ago, I, I attended my friend Tim's memorial service. And it was up in his, in his hometown, like Land, Lancaster area. And and it was interesting because one of the one of the people who got up and shared was a, a, a climbing partner of him of his and and Tim and this guy Jim had done a lot of big wall climbing together up in Yosemite especially but but as he got up and spoke and he spoke about Tim's life he actually got up and said that Tim lived a double life and maybe your heart just did what mine did when he said those words and went, are you kidding me right now? This is not the place for this. What do you mean he led a double life? His wife is sitting right there. His kids are sitting right there. His church is surrounding him. And and as he went on to explain, let me assure you of this, the double life that he was talking about, about my friend Tim, was not scandalous at all. It wasn't deceptive. It wasn't, it wasn't a deceptive double life. In fact, you see, Tim, like I mentioned before, he was an elite rock climber. Tim was on his 107th um, climb or ascent of El Capitan in a day when he fell. So most climbers, it takes four to five days to climb in a party the, the, the distance of El Capitan. It's a little over 3,000 feet. Tim had 106 successful ascents, one-day ascents of El Capitan. That's unheard of. He he and his partner, Jason, who also fell, they were known as the speedy old guys in the the Yosemite climbing community because they were just fast. Sometimes they would climb El Cap twice in a day. They would start before sunrise, and they would start to climb, and they would get to the top about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. They would hike down 3,000 feet eat some, you know, tuna and power bars and that kind of stuff and go, eh, we've got time. We can do it again. And they would climb El Capitan again, in, you know, twice in a day. That's the type of elite climbers that these guys were. Just incredibly strong um, 
And again, just kind of known around Yosemite as, as these speedy old guys. But see, also, Tim was an elite teacher of 17 years. He, he was the teacher of the year two years in a row. And just this last year, he was the, the teacher of the district. And it wasn't because of the things that he necessarily did, um, you know, academically for the school. It was because Tim was a champion for those who had little or no voice in his school. See, the school that he worked at was, was um, a, very, uh, a very poor school. And there was a lot, of, a lot of needs at the school. And so some of the things that Tim did for his, his students and his fellow staff, um, they're, they're, they're almost legendary. Um, it, this was crazy. As, as they were sharing stories as memorial, I just was taking these mental notes. He, he actually, at one point, he got a bonus a teaching bonus from the district for some award that he had won. And it was like $4,800. And so he decided instead of taking that home to his family or instead of spending that on something for himself, he was actually going to set up this little project for his students where they could earn $100. And it was all to go towards like, um, uh, you know, sports outfits or, you know, some project that they were doing from school. Like he gave his bonus away. And he not only did it one time, he did it multiple times. Every time he got a bonus... He gave it back to his students in his school. Um, he actually, uh, another story that was shared was he, he bailed a student's mom out of jail. The student's mom had been arrested, and, and, and was, um, but it was for something that she didn't do. She was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Tim understood the story. This young lady called Tim and said, Tim, I don't know where else to turn. I don't have any money to bail out my mom. I need help. Is there anything you know you can do? And without even blinking an eye, Tim went and he bailed out this, this young lady's mom. He actually, um, one of the things that stood out the most was he, he, he put together this fundraiser for a young girl who, who had been an innocent bystander in a senseless drive-by shooting. She was shot in the head and she was given 1% chance to live. But she miraculously survived. And a lot of that was because of the money that Tim raised to help support this girl and support her family. Tim actually used his climbing to benefit this. He, he actually broke a Guinness Book of World Record. He climbed 29,000, 29 feet in a single day in a climbing gym. That's the height of Everest. He did that in one day, and he shattered the previous record by four hours, all to bring attention not to himself, but to bring attention to this young lady's story to almost make her famous so that people would give to her and her family and her survival. And, and there are, honestly, there are countless other stories that I could share about Tim, both climbing and, and from his school. But, but my point here is this, that Tim's climbing partners, when we talk about a double life, Tim's climbing partners never knew about Tim's achievements and accomplishments at school. And Tim's, you know, students and, and fellow teachers never knew about Tim's accomplishments in Yosemite and on the rock climbing. And it wasn't because he was trying to hide them. No, in, in fact, again, like I mentioned earlier, Tim was just incredibly humble. I was blown away. There was one story, and I don't remember what the story was exactly, but his wife, JJ, was sharing at the memorial, and she said, I didn't even know that about Tim. And I shared a bed with him. He was my husband. But that was his thing. He didn't, want, he didn't ever want to bring glory or the spotlight onto himself. He wanted to make others better. He was incredibly humble. 
Again, it wasn't for Tim's glory. Tim did everything he did in his life because he had a foundation that was so solid in Jesus Christ, and he wanted others to see God at work in his life and living through his life. He understood that, again, character starts with humility, and that humility is absolutely foundational if you're going to make an impact on this world. He understood that. He understood that, 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 that for this reason, as Ephesians 3.14 says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. See, humility, true humility starts on our knees. It starts on our knees in this posture of, of just, okay, God, I'm open. I'm, I'm ready to receive you. Going back to the passages in Samuel, Samuel again, check out the stark difference between between. Saul and David. 1 Samuel 15, 23, uh, this is Saul being described. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. See, Saul totally relied on his own strength, forgot that God had put him in the position that he was in as king over the Israelites. He did things on his own. And he ended up making a lot of very bad choices for himself and for the Israelite nation. And then 2 Samuel 7, 18, this is talking about David. Then King David went in. Listen to the difference here. He went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? This like, oh my gosh, God, I can't believe the things that you've done through me. Not to bring me glory, but to bring you glory. To just go and sit before the Lord. And who am I, God, that you've brought me this far? See, Saul's arrogance was his downfall. But David's humility was the basis for God to use him and use him in a mighty way for the Israelite people. Oops. So we need to understand that pride is, is very dangerous and it's deceptive. And it's interesting, though, that like, if you think about the word pride, like, what other word can have an immediate negative and have immediate positive um, context, uh, or sorry, meanings, depending on the context? So, for instance, if you say, like, uh, I, I, I take, take pride in, in your appearance. Take pride in your appearance. Versus he's so prideful about his appearance. See the difference there? Take some pride in your appearance versus he's so prideful about his appearance. See, God talks about a bunch about the dangers of, of pride in, in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's one out of Proverbs. Pride goes before, goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then in the New Testament there in James, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So I think it's worth asking in our lives, where do we tend to become prideful? Take a moment and just think about that. In our lives, where do we tend to become prideful? See, pride makes us independent from God, where humility makes us dependent on God. And humility has the power to overthrow versus pride that takes that power and tries to overthrow by itself. Matthew 23, 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, when we're in these humble situations where pride can rear its ugly head, uh, talk about a witness. When we actually do the opposite of what pride tells us to do, puff ourselves up more, and we get down on our knees, and we take a humble approach to whatever the situation is, talk about an example. And that's how God is going to build our character. That is how God is going to build what he's doing inside of us more and more when we go to him in an act of humility. But what does humility look like? Considering others' opinions, not having to be right all the time. That's a tough one. I'd like to be right. Do you? Right? Putting others first. I know I, I, whenever I do marriage counseling for couples, one of the encouragements that I give them is, is to race, race each other to the front of the service line when it comes to putting your, your spouse in front of you and your spouse's needs in front of your own. Race each other to the front of the service line. Try to outserve each other. Listening before speaking, that can be a tough one too, right? Already forming our response before we hear the end of whatever it is that's being said to us. <laughs> so I want to leave you with this thought. How am I cultivating Christ-like character in my life? See, it's what's at our core that makes us capable of having a Christ-like character in, in our life. In, in a tribute uh, article written for Rock and Ice Climbing Magazine about my buddy Tim. Another fellow climber described Tim as being physically unable to boast. And when I read that, I thought about the hundreds of hours I had spent on climbing walls with Tim. And honestly, I, I, that statement couldn't be more true. Tim was physically unable to boast. And, and honestly, since his passing... I've, I've often thought about what it would look like to live a life that was physically unable to boast. What would that look like for me? And then I'm reminded of, of the, the prime example of physically un, unable to boast, and that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Even in going to the cross, what were his words? Not my will, Lord. Not my will, Father, but yours. What would our lives look like if we started every day just saying that? Lord, today I give you this day, and not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. I know for me, uh, I've had a lot of moments recently where I, I just, I contemplate, you know, life and death. When something like this happens, especially to someone who's your own age, it's one of those things where you go, oh man, like, wow. And it's not that I'm questioning God or I question God in those moments. Most of it, I, I just think, I go, okay, like, Tim's memorial service was two and a half hours long. Incredibly long but it's because so many people had so many amazing things to share. 
about his life and how he had touched his life or touched their lives. So I got to thinking like, man, that's the kind of life that, that I want to lead. That's the kind of life that I want to have where my character just overflows onto other people because it's, it's what God's doing in my life, not me. And so I'd encourage you again this week, maybe just try it for a week, see, how, see what it does. Start your morning on your knees and saying, God, not my will, but yours, and see what it does to your character. See what it does to strengthen your core. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for just allowing us to be here in this place, and I know it's hot, and I know it's sweaty, and um, God, I, I just thank you for these, these friends. We can have just a conversation. We can talk about you. We can learn um, from your example of giving in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I just would pray uh, for each one of us, Lord, that you would give us the strength that we need this week just to live a life that exemplifies you in every single thing that we do. So God, um, remind us to draw near to you, beckon us, God, close to you this week. God, when life and jobs and whatever else kind of starts to clutter our mind and our heart, Lord. Remind us, God, to spend time with you. Remind us to strengthen our core. Remind us um, that our character, our character is, is developed through you, and so it's good to spend time with you, having you work on that aspect of our lives, knowing that through that, God, you're gonna do amazing things in our lives, Lord. Thank you for loving us that much and trusting us. To give your good news to other people.